Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. Big E here. And we're talking about law. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer to serve your community here in Virginia? And it's episode 50. We have done 50 episodes now since we began just less than a year ago. Uh, It's so cool. I'm so excited that people have been listening. Today, we're going to talk about a case uh, that's really fitting to be our 50th episode. It is a case called Coniglia versus Strom from the U.S. Supreme Court, a ruling that they just made on May 17th. And it is a fascinating case. It's a unanimous ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court involving the community caretaker, the exigent circumstances exception to the search warrant requirement, searching homes. And even though this case is a unanimous ruling and the court just issues a four or five page uh, ruling, you're going to see that in fact, this case is very complicated and the judges are not on the same page here. There's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of questions that you, if you're a law enforcement officer in your community, whatever you're assigned to, whatever you're doing, if you're trying to be out there protecting and serving your community, you should have these questions too. And you got to you gotta figure out how am I going to address these issues when they come up because the U.S. Supreme Court's not giving me any guidance here. Uh, we're going to talk about those issues today. You can see that the judges themselves are very troubled by these questions and they want answers too, even though they all can agree that the search in this case wasn't lawful under the Fourth Amendment. Um, there's a lot of questions unanswered. So we're going to talk about that today in this case, talk about the community caretaker exception, talk about the exigent circumstances exception, and what does it mean uh, for entering houses, especially for welfare checks for people who might be in danger uh, either to themselves or in danger of being injured uh, inside their homes. So what's this case all about? Let's start with this. Uh, The case starts in Rhode Island. It's a case out of Rhode Island where this guy named Mr. Caniglia puts his gun down on a table uh, and says to his wife, shoot me and get it over with. His wife is concerned that he's going to be violent, that he's going to kill himself, or he's going to try to involve her in killing himself. So she flees the home. She calls the police and she says, will you please go to my house and check on him? So the police go to the house. They ask to speak to him. He comes outside And they say, hey, are you okay? They talk to him. Ultimately, they ECO him. And when they ECO him, he says, look, I'll go with you, but please don't go inside my house and seize my guns. Well, they ECO him, and then they go inside his house, and they seize his guns. And they do it without a warrant. Uh, They they feel that there's enough of a danger here that Caniglia is going to come back to the house and hurt himself, that they need to seize these guns right now. Because he just had put one of the guns in front of his wife and said, shoot me with this. So the police go in, seize the guns, and Caniglia, when he gets out, sues the police. He sues the police, claiming that they violated his Fourth Amendment rights. Now, the case goes to the district court, and the district court says the police lawfully entered the house under the community caretaker exception to the search warrant. And the Court of Appeals, in this case, the First, uh, First Circuit Court of Appeals, who governs Rhode Island, agreed. They said, yeah, this is a community caretaker uh, entry into a home. So I'm going to stop right here and let's talk about the community caretaker exception to the search warrant requirement. Because in this case, the court, the the district court and the Fourth Circuit, all First Circuit, both agree that this is a proper community caretaker entry. But uh, I think it's important to understand what the community caretaker exception, if it is an exception, uh, really means. It comes from this case called Katie versus Dambrowski. And in Katie versus Dambrowski, um, in, uh, this is a case where um, an officer searches a vehicle and finds a firearm inside of this vehicle. 
Now, why does he search the vehicle? Because the person he was arresting for DUI was an off-duty law enforcement officer, and he knew that this officer uh, likely had his firearm in his vehicle, uh, and it was because it was common, of course, for law enforcement officers to carry their vehicle off, to carry their firearms off-duty. And so, in this case, uh, the officer searches the vehicle to secure the firearm to make sure that nobody else gets hurt. And the case goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, and in this case, which is a 1973 case, the U.S. Supreme Court says that was proper not because of some law enforcement reason, but simply to keep the community safe and to secure the arrestee's property, the guy who they're arresting, the law enforcement officer who's, who's being arrested for DUI, to secure his property and make sure that his property doesn't get stolen or lost or doesn't get used to hurt somebody. And that case from 1973 gives rise to this idea that, there, that law enforcement can conduct searches that aren't part of a criminal investigation, but instead are done to protect property. A lot of cases, community caretaker cases, then start to involve vehicles. Um, so, for example, um, there's a case called Williams versus Commonwealth, which is a 2004 case. And in Williams versus Commonwealth, they arrest the driver, and his car is unsecured. It's on the side of the street, and the officers are concerned. The area is known for a lot of auto thefts, auto burglaries, people breaking into cars, stealing stuff, people stealing cars. They, they decide, we're going to impound this vehicle to keep the vehicle safe. And the court says in Katie, uh, and said that the standard in Williams repeats it, you know, if you're talking about protecting people's property, uh, protecting against claims of lost or stolen property, and protecting the public and the police from physical danger, that's a proper uh, a goal for the police. That's why we have police around, not necessarily for an investigation, but just to keep people safe. And so when there's something, when there's danger of destruction of property or danger to a person, police can conduct a search and a seizure on that basis. And that gives rise to this idea that there's a community caretaker exception to the search warrant requirement. But all the cases, the U.S. Supreme Court case and a lot of these other cases, all involve vehicles and property out in public. The U.S. Supreme Court has never said that the community caretaker exception allows law enforcement to enter a home. And that's why we have this case then, Coniglia versus Storm, that Strom that comes out last week, where the U.S. Supreme Court says, "Well, hold on a second. Does that does that exception exist? Is it a separate exception, and does it allow law enforcement to enter into a home?" So they take this case and they start considering that question. The oral argument to this case is really interesting. At the oral argument to this case, you see a lot of the justices start asking questions like, and this is Chief Justice Roberts here talking, what if you have somebody who, uh, you know, an elderly woman who is always on time, she always comes to dinner, she always shows up, you know, and suddenly she's non-responsive, she doesn't show up, and everybody's thinking, well, this isn't right, right? And I think, you know, if you're listening to this call and you're a law enforcement call, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a law enforcement officer, you've had a call like this before. We all get calls like this. I mean, I think, you know, any patrol shift gets uh, pretty frequent calls like this. Will you please go check on so-and-so? She always shows up to work right on time. She's never missed a day at work. And suddenly she's not here. We don't know where she is. We've called. No one knows where she is. Um, she hasn't talked to anybody. She's not answering her phone. She's not answering email. Please go check on her, especially in the time of COVID, right? Uh, we, we're, you know, we're very concerned for people who are suddenly non-responsive. And it's very common then for law enforcement to go do a welfare check. The Supreme Court justices were very concerned at the oral argument about, well, you know, what authority is there for law enforcement to check on people 
Um, and if we rule in this case that the law enforcement officers were not permitted to go inside of Mr. Coniglia's house and, and take his guns, does that mean that law enforcement officers can't be going inside people's houses to check on them when they might be in danger? This is the concern that the court expresses at the oral argument. And, you know, the, the, the various attorneys in the case who are arguing the case kind of dodge that question. But when the case is decided by the U.S. Supreme Court, they first look at the question of, all right, in this case, when the officers seized Mr. Coniglia's guns, was that lawful? Uh, under this community caretaker exception. And all the justices, Justice Thomas writes for the whole court, agree that there is no separate community caretaker exception or doctrine that allows law enforcement to enter into a home, uh, search and seize things. They can all agree that that's not a lawful basis to enter a home, is, the, is a so-called community caretaker exception. Um, so in this particular case, right, the court says, you know, the First Circuit was wrong, the district court was wrong. Um, yes, you can search vehicles if you're trying to secure property. Yes, you can, uh, if you're not doing a criminal investigation but concerned about the law, you know, the lost or stolen property out there in the public in the world, sure, you can enter a car and seize property. But this is someone's home, and the Fourth Amendment especially protects people's homes. Vehicles and, and homes are different. What you could do with a vehicle is not the same as what you can do with a car. So they refuse to extend the Katie versus Dembrowski exception to homes. You could still search the car and seize the gun in the car. Uh, that was still proper. They're not overruling that in any way. They're just saying that you can't go into somebody's home on that basis. Okay, so that's pretty easy. That's pretty straightforward. But it doesn't answer the real question here, right? And the real question here is not, can I go into somebody's house and take all their guns away because I'm concerned that they might hurt themselves um, without, a, without a warrant? That's not really a question. In Virginia, if we have a concern like that, we can go get a warrant. It's called a red flag order, uh, and, and that's a new statute that was enacted last year. And the court here, one of the justices in their concurrence, uh, specifically says, we're not talking about red flag laws. Their officers have legal process. They can enter into a home. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is where you really can't get a search warrant, right? But you still are concerned with some, for somebody's safety. And that's that call. Hey, so-and-so is not at work. We haven't seen them in, in a day or two. Um, so-and-so didn't come to dinner, and she's always on time, and she's always answering her phone, and suddenly she's disappeared, and we don't know where she is. And you get to the house, and her car is there, and there's mail piled up. What's going on, right? Is that an exigent circumstance? I mean, it's not, you know, community character doesn't let us go in, so is that an exigent circumstance? Well, exigent is usually emergency. Here that you have somebody who hasn't been around for a day. Is that an emergency? What if they haven't been around for two days or three days? Is that an emergency? You can't get a search warrant because there's no crime, right? There's no way to go to the magistrate and get a search warrant. You can't get a red flag order because there's no evidence that they're trying to hurt themselves, trying to shoot themselves with a firearm. They're just non-responsive, and we don't know uh, why. But... There's a real good reason to think that they're in danger. So can we check out their house? And notice, by the way, I'm not just talking about forcing your way into their house. They're, the curtilage of their home gets the same protection under the Fourth Amendment. So I can walk up to anybody's door and knock on the front door. Sure, that's fine. But if I'm going to go around the backyard of their house, if I'm going to go into the private areas of their house where they, where they don't invite the public to enter... That's the same thing, basically, in the fourth, under the Fourth Amendment as walking into their house itself, right? That's, uh, that is Collins versus Virginia that talks about how the curtilage to someone's home uh, has the same protection under the Fourth Amendment as the interior of their home. 
So sure, I can walk up this driveway. Sure, I can walk up the front walkway. Sure, I can knock on the door. Sure, I can walk around the front porch and look in the windows. But as soon as I start going beyond what any normal Uber driver or delivery driver or UPS driver or pizza delivery guy or whatever can do, as soon as I start walking around the side of the house and looking inside windows and going to the back door, I'm in the private areas of that house, and that's under the Fourth Amendment. Uh, that requires the only three ways into a home are consent, exigent circumstances, or a search warrant. We know we can't get a search warrant, so is it exigent circumstances that I haven't seen them in a day or two? Uh, when does it become exigent? Uh, is it an exigency when the person has been non-responsive for two or three days, and at that point, you know, they're probably dead? I don't know, right? So, you know, what does that mean? That's the question, right? And you see in this case, Justice Roberts write a concurrence where he comes out swinging and says, police do not need a, I agree with Justice Thomas, I agree with all the justices, we're all unanimous that this search was unlawful, this seizure was unlawful. But Justice Roberts separately writes an opinion and says, look, a warrant is not needed when there is a need to assist people who are seriously injured or threatened with such injury. And so if you look back on the question that he asked at oral argument, He's saying, you know, if, if police have essentially probable cause to believe that someone inside is hurt or injured, they don't need a warrant because that's an exigent circumstance to enter inside a home. That's what he thinks. Now, here the court doesn't rule this. He just writes this separate opinion to say our, our cases already say that because he's really worried about this issue. So is Justice Alito. Uh, Justice Alito here, he writes separately to say, again, there's no community caretaker exception to the search warrant requirement that allows law enforcement to enter in a home. Um, but when search when law enforcement enters into someone's home or the curtilage of their home for some reason other than a criminal investigation, we don't look at it the same way as we do criminal investigations. We apply a different standard. You know, so what is Justice Alito saying here? Well, Justice Alito is talking about the exigent circumstances exception uh, in a different way. So remember, you know, I've done this in a previous podcast, talked about the exigent circumstances exception. There's really two different exigent circumstance exceptions, right? There's one where I have a probable cause of a crime, and then there's some exigency like a danger to the public, a danger to destruction of evidence, or a danger that the suspect's going to flee or hurt somebody. But there's also an exigent circumstance exception that's just, there's an emergency, right? The house is on fire. There's no crime, but I can certainly force my way in to check for people inside and rescue them, right? Uh, that's the classic exigent, other kind of exigent circumstance exception. You don't need probable cause in that case, right? You just need uh, you, you basically the need to preserve life or avoid, ser avoid serious injury uh, is justification for that entry to protect the safety of other people. You don't need probable cause of a crime. You need reasonable belief that there is some kind of uh, danger to the public, right? Uh, there's some danger to somebody getting hurt or injured or killed inside of that home. And again, a fire is a perfect example of that. So again, Justice Alito, and he makes the point that red flag laws, again, you, there you have a court order, so it's different, right? We're talking about warrantless entries here. Um, but he, you know, again, comes back to this question. What if you have somebody who is non-responsive, they haven't come to work, or people are worried about them, they didn't show up for dinner like they were supposed to, and people are very concerned, uh, would it violate the Fourth Amendment? And he here says, you know, that's not, we're not ruling on that issue in this case, but that's a really important question. 
Um, he writes here in his opinion, you know, the imaginary woman in the Chief Justice example um, who doesn't show up, uh, she may have regarded her home as her castle, but it is doubtful that she would have wanted it to be the place where she died alone and in agony, right? That here the court is very worried that they're not to extend the Fourth Amendment's protections to be so strict as to essentially be fatal to people who uh, might be hurt or injured inside their home. And he points out that, you know, a lot of states don't really have a process. I can't get legal process. I can't get a search warrant. Like in Virginia, I can't get a search warrant just to enter someone's home because they might be hurt inside. What does Justice Kavanaugh write here? Again, Justice Kavanaugh, uh, at oral argument, was very concerned about this issue. And Justice Kavanaugh said, you know, I don't think it's an exigent circumstance when you're entering into a home to check on somebody who their welfare, but I do think it's lawful. So he challenged the lawyers in that case, explain to me why it's lawful, why it's okay for them to enter, even though it's not really a classic and exigent circumstance like we think about, houses on fire, right? Um, and he says, look, I want to be very clear here. We're not saying that police can't enter to check on people. Um, he is very clear that he thinks that police officers can enter a home without a warrant in circumstances where they're reasonably trying to prevent a potential suicide or to help an elderly person who's been out of contact and may have fallen and suffered a serious injury. He thinks that that's lawful. Now, again, I want to be clear. The court doesn't rule in this case that it's lawful. This, the, the, the issue in this case was, did the officers lawfully enter a home of somebody who'd been taken away on an ECO and seize his guns? And all nine justices can agree that that entry wasn't lawful. But going further, uh, again, Justice Kavanaugh, like Justice Roberts, the Chief Justice, and just like uh, Justice Alito, thinks that it's lawful to enter a home to do a welfare check and check on somebody, right? Uh, or somebody who might be suicidal to enter and check on their safety. And he goes through sort of a long analysis, and he looks at all the exigent circumstance cases and so on, and says, you know, essentially the same reasoning that goes into the exigent circumstance uh, exception would permit law enforcement to enter, uh, you know, for example, a woman calls a healthcare hotline or 911 and says she's contemplating suicide, that she has firearms in her home and she might as well die. So you get this dispatch from 911 and you respond, right? Can you enter the home? And Justice Kavanaugh says, of course you can enter the home. And I'm, I'm guessing for a lot of the listeners of this podcast, you have entered the home in those circumstances before. You've responded to that exact call, right? And hearing this case and this ruling, Justice Kavanaugh wants to make very clear, he thinks that that is still lawful. He thinks that even in light of this ruling, that law enforcement can still enter that home to protect that person, right? Um, and again, for the absent person, the person who hasn't shown up to church, um, who fails to answer their phone day and night, this is very unusual. He's never been he's never been absent. He's never failed to answer his phone. Um, concerned relatives call and say, "Hey, can you go check on him?" Officers respond. Justice Kavanaugh asks, "Can the officers enter the home?" He says, "Of course they can." Now, this is just his opinion. This is not the justice's ruling. You don't have you know. I need a majority of the court to rule. And uh, that's not the issue in this case, so the justices don't rule on it. But Justice Kavanaugh is very clear. He thinks, yeah, of course they can go inside the house. Uh, the Fourth Amendment does not protect officers from entering the home and checking on somebody's well-being. Um, he writes here, and you know, this is interesting. I mean, I have in other podcast, other episodes before, um, you know, given the justices a little bit of a ribbing for being, um, you know, on the elderly side of older. Um, 
And here you have nine justices of the Supreme Court of the United States, so some of the most senior, most elder, most uh, intelligent, most respected jurists in the whole United States, but they're not they're not young people, right? I mean, none of these people are, uh, you know, are, are, are uh, on the earlier side of a fraternity party, right? Um, and here, Justice Kavanaugh cites in 2018 alone, approximately 32,000 older adults died from falls in their home. Uh, this is a an issue for these justices. They uh, have probably elderly parents or elderly family members they're taking care of. They themselves are probably, it's very, uh, you know, prescient in their mind, the idea that they might sometime fall and be alone and, and die unable to uh, uh, request help. And the idea that they would somehow be setting up a, a rule under the Fourth Amendment that said the police couldn't come help them, uh, they're not, they, they don't like that idea, right? You can see Justice Kavanaugh doesn't like that idea. So... Again, the issue in this case is here you have a guy, Caniglia, who's not inside his house anymore. He's not a danger to himself anymore uh, because he's been taken away in an ECO and the officers go inside of his house and they seize his guns. In Virginia, if that came up, you'd get a red flag order. You'd go to the court and you'd ask the court to issue an order that would permit you to go to his house and seize his firearms. And if he refused to give up his firearms, you could get, then get a search warrant based on that refusal to seize those firearms. We have a legal process for that. Uh, and But in Virginia, we don't have a, and the court says that, again, here, going in without a warrant is not proper. But we don't have a process in Virginia to deal with this emergency situation uh, where we think somebody might be in danger. So what does Virginia law tell us? Uh, what do the existing cases tell us, right? Uh, in Virginia, just like under the, you know, applying these rules from the from the U.S. Supreme Court, um, again, Commonwealth versus Hobson talks about this idea that you have to have a reasonable belief uh, that that somebody is in danger. It's an objective test, right? That somebody needs immediate assistance. And so officers at the moment that they enter must uh, be aware of facts that would lead a reasonable experienced law enforcement officer to believe that somebody requires immediate, accepts, uh, immediate assistance. It's not whether you actually believe that an emergency exists, but whether a reasonable officer would believe that such an emergency existed. And so you see, for example, in Hobson versus Commonwealth, a case where people call 911, they hear shots fired, a couple of shots fired, and officers respond to this house. They think the shots come from the house. They don't know for sure, but the door to the house is open, and so officers enter inside the house to make sure people are okay. Is there a crime in this case? There's not really probable cause of a crime. All you hear is gunshots, right? And gunshots aren't illegal. But uh, here again, the standard here is... Uh, is there a reasonable belief that somebody is in danger, that somebody is injured uh, or hurt inside the house? And uh, they quote Justice Berger and say, you know, the business of the police and firemen is to act, not to speculate or me meditate on whether the report is correct. People could well die in emergencies if police tried to act with the calm deliberation associated with the judicial process. And so permitted in that case, in Hobson, officers to enter that house and check on people inside the house. Now, I want to be very clear. There you had some direct evidence that somebody was hurt inside the house. Uh, Kyer versus Commonwealth is a case where officers are just walking down the street. They see a door open and they just say and they just assume, oh, somebody must be injured inside the house because the door's open. It's the middle of the night. Uh, and that's just not that's that's unusual. Right. And the court in Kyer was very adamant that that's not enough evidence. There has to be something specific in this case 
uh, and Kyra might have been different if the door frame had been smashed open or if there's blood on the floor um, or again if they'd received calls the person was non-responsive and hadn't you know shown up for days or hadn't been uh, communicating for days uh, but in Cairo, it was just an open door in the middle of the night. That wasn't enough. But in Hobson, you have this gunshots, a couple of gunshots. The officers respond, and then there's a door open, and then they say, okay, well, then clearly there's something going on here. Somebody's hurt inside. Um, and I mentioned the fire. You know, a fire is an exigent circumstance. Again, it's not always a crime. It's very rarely a crime. But government officials, firefighters, law enforcement officers can enter a house without a warrant to combat a fire. And, um, and even if the fire is no longer extant, even if the fire has been put out, officers can continue to explore that house to make sure that the fire doesn't reignite or there is an extension inside, inside the walls and so on. So what does that mean for you as a law enforcement officer in Virginia? Again, you get this call that says, uh, let's say the dispatch, you know, well, let's do two different examples. We'll, so we'll start with the, um, the dispatch that somebody says, I'm suicidal. I'm going to end my life. I have a gun inside my house. I'm done. And then they hang up the phone, right? And dispatch calls you and says, you can go out. Now, Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh says, absolutely, it's proper to enter the house in that circumstance. And it seems like Virginia law is on your side about that. There, I think you can easily rely on the exigent circumstances exception to the search warrant requirement, the exigent circumstance for an emergency. There, in this particular case, you have uh, uh, a concern, you know, a reasonable belief that there may be somebody who is injured, or uh, you have reasonable belief that there's a danger and you need to protect that occupant from an imminent injury, right? And so the need to protect or preserve life or to avoid serious injury would be a lawful justification. Uh, for entering that home without a warrant. Because again, the three ways into a house generally are, are warrant, consent, or exigent circumstances. So I think here you'd have a good exigent circumstance. The other question though, and this is the more challenging one, I've talked to law enforcement officers all around the Virginia about this, is this basic question, right? I get this call for somebody who hasn't shown up to work uh, or hasn't shown up to church or we haven't seen them in several days and they don't answer their phone and we don't know where they are. And maybe the call is within, maybe it's, they didn't show up to work today and it's, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. They never missed a day of work. They're always here. It's, it's one in the afternoon. Um, and they were supposed to be here at nine. We don't know where they are. It's really strange. They don't answer their phone. You get to the house and, uh, the car is there and maybe you call, uh, Verizon or AT&T and you ask them to ping the phone and the phone comes back to the house. So they're inside that house. You're knocking on the door and they're not answering. Here, it seems if you read this case, the court is saying there's no community caretaker obsession. You have to be able to have an, you be able to have to articulate an a, exigent circumstance here, which is to say a reasonable belief uh, that there is a imminent threat to the safety of somebody inside uh, or that, that, that you need to either render assistance to an injured occupant or protect an occupant from imminent injury. So that articulation, that reasonable belief is going to be really crucial. Why is it that you believe that somebody inside is injured, that they, you, you must uh, provide, imminently provide uh, emergency assistance, either that somebody is injured or they're imminently going to be injured? What is your reason for that, right? I think you're going to need to have a good bit of articulation. And that applies whether you're planning to kick in the door and go inside the house 
or whether you're just planning to go around the outside of the house, the areas to which the general public is not generally invited, and start peeking in windows and maybe go around to the back porch and testing out the back door of the back porch or looking in, because that's treated the same way as a house is under the Fourth Amendment. And so you have to ask yourself, well, what are the facts here in this case? What tells me that uh, that gives me a reasonable belief that this person is injured or hurt? And that might require, you know, again, these calls come from dispatch, and dispatch might give you some pretty vague information. You might not have any idea where that information comes from. Who is the caller? Let me talk to the caller. Let me verify that we actually know who the caller is. If the caller is anonymous or semi-anonymous, you know, that's not very reliable information. You can go back and listen to our episode on uh, anonymous tips and, and, and informants and so on. Uh, we're not going to be judged very well by a court if we have no idea who gave us the information. On the other hand, if the person who called very clearly gave their content information, that makes them very reliable. They're a named citizen. And what, does, what is the specific information here? Just go check on him because just go check on him. It's been a couple of hours. Or go check on him because... Um, you know, we were concerned that he didn't feel well yesterday and it's the time of COVID and he was coughing a lot and he said, I need to go home. I just don't feel great. And now we're not getting a call from him. Well then, yeah, definitely. We need to go check on this guy, right? You know, what are the fact? the individual facts are going to be really important. So documentation is going to be crucial in these cases as well. And that's a high burden. I'm guessing that for those of you out there who do welfare check calls, and again, I think that's almost every law enforcement agency in Virginia, you probably aren't accustomed to doing that kind of high-level documentation. But if you look in this case at uh, the ruling from the court at how quickly they dismissed the concerns of the officers in this case, they definitely are going to hold you to a standard, you know, can definitely hold you to being able to demonstrate what the facts are. But if you can demonstrate the facts, if you can articulate, yeah, here's why I'm concerned for the safety of the person inside this house, the other takeaway from this case is that at least the justices of this Supreme Court are very concerned that law enforcement be permitted to check on the welfare of people who may be hurt inside of homes uh, and check on people who are non-responsive or who haven't come to work or haven't come to you know, dinner or haven't come to church. Um, this is an elderly Supreme Court, and they don't want to die alone in their homes because the, Supreme, because the Fourth Amendment is being interpreted too strictly. So some interesting takeaways from this case is called Caniglia versus Strom. You can find it on the U.S. Supreme Court website. It's from May 17th of 2021. I encourage everyone to read it um, and uh, and think about it and talk about it with your agency, talk about what your policy is going to be and how you're going to handle one of these cases when you get them next time because you will get them and there won't be a lot of time to sit around and think about it. Uh, you need to make a decision in these cases and they're, t- and they're tough. So for today, uh, that's all from me. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. Uh, we're going to keep producing stuff. If you've got good questions, good issues, and so on, let me know. Uh, email me. Uh, today's podcast, by the way, uh, thank you to uh, to Brett. Brett emailed me and wanted to talk about this case and asked me a bunch of good questions. So, uh, Brett, I hope I answered the questions that you asked me in your email. Uh, but other than that, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.